Our reading continues this morning from the Gospel of Luke, revised from the verses assigned in today's bulletin. We will read Luke 23, 33 through 43 from the Common English Bible Translation. When they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. They drew lots as a way of dividing up his clothing. The people were standing around watching, but the leaders sneered at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he really is the Christ sent from God, the Chosen One. The soldiers also mocked him. They came up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, If you really are the King of the Jews, save yourself. Above his head was a notice of the formal charge against him. It read, This is the King of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging next to Jesus insulted him, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Responding, the other criminal spoke harshly to him, Do you not fear God, seeing that you've also been sentenced to die? We are rightly condemned, for we are receiving the appropriate sentence for what we've done. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus replied, I assure you that today you will be with me in paradise. Let us pray. Spirit of the living God, reveal your word to us this day that we might have life in your name. Amen. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Professor of New Testament Michael Patella said this is probably one of the most gentle verses in the whole Bible. And though the word gentleness does not appear in today's reading, such a description of Jesus' invitation to forgiveness is well deserving of our own prayerful reflection. The word gentleness is one that sparingly appears in the writings of the New Testament. It is nevertheless of great importance for our understanding of the gospel and of what it means for us to follow in the way of Jesus. For example, the word gentleness appears in Paul's letter to the Galatians as being a sign of the presence of the Spirit. It is a word also sometimes translated as meekness and is defined as the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. In Colossians chapter 3, gentleness is listed as being one of the primary characteristics of the children of God, along with love, compassion, kindness, patience, and humility. These things, the author writes, are to become as comfortable and fitting and natural to us as the clothes that we wear. In Ephesians chapter 4, gentleness is the evidence that we are leading a life worthy of God's calling upon our lives. 
Perhaps this is why in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says that meekness or gentleness is a beatitude or a blessing, a way of life that merits God's favor and provision as an inheritance that once given can never be taken away. Christian writer Bonnie Thurston insists that gentleness is a posture that cannot be forced, but can only be chosen. Because like Jesus, gentleness, as a characteristic of the divine, denotes the willingness to relinquish one's ability to control. And this too requires that we know the truth of who we are and to whom we belong. Which brings us back to today's reading from Luke's Gospel and the willingness of Jesus to seek forgiveness for the very ones who crucified him. Not because he had to, but because he wanted to. Not because he had to, but because of who God is. As Brennan Manning reminds us, God loves who we really are, whether we like it or not. In fact, there are many different people in today's reading, each with their own reasons for being present on that day, and each one making their own choices. Roman leaders in authority, politicians and public officials who daily face the pressures of carrying out the will of the people and of their superiors, responsible for demonstrating the appearance of toughness. It is they who mock Jesus, seemingly without emotion, desensitized by the violence that they perpetuate in the name of Caesar. There are also religious leaders who point the finger at Jesus because he threatens their influence among the people, priests and teachers made to feel insecure by the uncertainty of their social conditions. Though they also mock Jesus, they cringe at the inscription above the cross, an ethnic slight against their people. This is the king of the Jews. Just another reminder that they too are powerless. There are soldiers who gather out of obligation, following orders, whatever is asked of them without hesitation. Often raised in poverty, it's their job to keep an eye on the crowds, ensuring that ordinary people do not become unruly and disorderly. And in exchange for their imperial commitment and service, the empire promises to take care of them and their families. But it's a serious task, so they try to make the best of things by teasing those who have been condemned, even though they know they're not so different themselves. The crowds, meanwhile, gather for the spectacle. They gather to be entertained. They gather because they cannot seem to look away, gleaning some sort of pride in knowing that at least today it isn't them. At least today, it's someone else. And in a strange and peculiar way, this brings comfort to a life that is otherwise precarious, filled with suffering and injustice. And the two other criminals who are condemned alongside of Jesus, rather poignantly, they're the only ones who ask for Jesus to rescue them. And it is by their words that we discover Jesus is listening assuring comfort to those who mourn 
and promising life in the shadow of death. The most frequently used New Testament word for forgiveness, used also here in Luke 23, is a word with a broad range of meanings, from the releasing of one's debts to the canceling of one's obligations. It's this word that Jesus uses to articulate his own ministry when he quotes from the prophet Isaiah in Luke chapter 4, saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim release to the prisoners. But this word also signifies something more than the generic pronouncement of pardon. It is also intimate, and it is deeply personal. For in setting one free from their past, there is open to the possibility for a life and a future that is turned in a new direction. Forgiveness is an act of gentleness because it makes room for a relationship, not simply to exist, but to flourish. And gentleness nurtures the flourishing of others toward their full potential. Thus, gentleness is an important practice for the formation of healthy communities by nourishing commitment and togetherness. There can be no peace without gentleness. There can be no embracing without gentleness. There can be no room for love to grow and to maturity without the intentional effort to make room for someone else. One interpretation of the creation of the universe suggests that because of the vastness of God's being, God literally has to make room for creation to exist. Jesus, Jesus prays for forgiveness in today's reading, not simply to absolve others of guilt, but as a means of making room. Because more than anything, he desires to be in communion with us and with all of creation, a communion that the offering of his own life makes possible. In this regard, gentleness is also costly because it forces us both to confront and to resist many of our own internal fears and propensities toward bitterness and revenge, toward violence and control. Gentleness abandons these things because gentleness desires integrity more than it seeks power over others. But gentleness is not the same as powerlessness. It is instead the free expression of one's true character. You see, gentleness is not the absence of power. It is the presence of strength that is restrained. Gentleness is not the absence of power. It is the presence of strength that is restrained. Gentleness is a sacrifice precisely because it is never the only choice. In a world like ours, gentleness is but one of many choices. Still, it is the choice that Jesus makes, in whom all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through whom God was pleased to reconcile all things to himself. There are many ways for us to experience today's reading as an indictment upon our willingness to resort to violence, as a confirmation of our inability to discern what is true, 
as a criticism of our eagerness to take pleasure in the pain of others, as an illustration of our tendency toward indifference. And yet, even in this moment, especially in this moment, here is our God choosing another way. Here is our God fully present and listening. Here is our God whose love is gentle and strong. Today, we celebrate the festival day known to us as Christ the King Sunday. It is a day for us to be reminded of the kingship of Jesus, who is called Christ, Son of the living God. Born of lowly and humble circumstances, Jesus lived a life marked by friendship and joyous compassion among the vulnerable and the despised, all those rejected by the world. A witness to the love and presence of the divine, Jesus' life and message are a challenge to those in possession of power and privilege and wealth. And for this reason, he was arrested and condemned to endure a criminal's death. But death was not the end, for God raised him up from the grave, and he lives, a sign of hope and promise, a sign of redemption and peace, a sign that the way things are in the world is not the way that they always will be. This is the God in whom we place our trust. This is our sovereign, the Lamb of God, who is not like the rulers of history, the Lord of lords, whose kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world, who rules with affection, who governs with mercy, who decrees forgiveness, who administers compassion, who perseveres with kindness, who overcomes with grace, who reigns with gentleness, who leads by example, and who lives to bring salvation to all. Thus we pray. Gentle Jesus, hear our prayer. Keep us in your love and care. And when evening shadows fall, casting darkness over all, loving Jesus, then be near. For with you we have no fear. Amen.